<laughs> ah, there we go. Good. Please either turn in your Bibles, follow up on the screens, open your devices. Things used to be so simple. We just say, turn in your Bibles to the scripture reading. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 65, two of the sections uh, entitled Teth and Yod. Those are Hebrew letters. Each of these sections uh, is led by a Hebrew letter. I, I don't know if you know this. You probably have heard this before, but each section in the Hebrew, each verse in each section begins with the letter. That was a device they used for helping people to memorize the psalm. So all the, all the verses in the Aleph section begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, and so on down the line. We begin with verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let, me, uh, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Here we end the reading of God's word. So as you've seen on the screen, uh, the message today is entitled, Learning to Discern Truth in a Culture of Lies. And during the course of the message, I hope to answer three questions. The first question, the first question is, what is it about the Bible that enables it to be a trustworthy guide for our faith and life? Second question, how can I be confident that I can understand the Bible? And third question, how can I learn to discern and be a voice for truth. A few years ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class at your sister church, a new sister church, Living Hope OPC, over in Cerritos. I was teaching a Sunday school class on the topic of postmodernism. And you probably have heard of that. You probably know that postmodernism denies the existence of objective reality. But wait, there's more. 
It denies, it claims that we can never know truth. In fact, that truth doesn't really exist. And along with that, it claims that there are no absolute moral grounds or moral precepts, and no absolute moral code. During one class, I stopped and I looked at the class, and there were several young people in the class, and I looked at those young people and I said, do you realize that almost everything our culture tells you about reality is a lie? You realize that? Almost everything our culture tells you about the nature of reality, the nature of truth, and and indeed actual real things is a lie. We either lie or we suppress the truth. Paul writes in Romans 1, of course, that the unbelieving people, the unbelieving uh, nations of the earth suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Things have not gotten any better in the last three years since I was teaching that class. Think about this. Our schools teach that the universe is nothing more than a product of time and chance, and that there is no purpose to anything. That's a lie. That's a lie. Our children are taught that they are simply evolved animals. I realize sometimes they act that way. But But they're taught that they're nothing more than evolved animals who might be at the top of the food chain, but there is nothing really special about us. Certainly we're not creatures made in the image of our creator, and life is not sacred. That, too, is a lie. Our entertainment industry tells us that there are no moral standards and that what was once called sin is now to be accepted if not celebrated. It's a lie. Our news media have in the past few years conspired to spread false stories and to suppress the truth. They lie continually. Science, quote unquote, and by the way, I'm not anti-science, but a lot of what goes, is, is presented today as science, you really have to question. Science has told us one thing about a virus, only to contradict itself a little while later. We have the feeling that we have been lied to over and over again, or at least we haven't been told the truth, or at least people have told us they're telling the truth when they really don't know what they're talking about. Can I get an, oh, wow, I've got the amen corner over here. This is, your former Baptist or what? I, we don't know who to believe. We've been told that men can become women. It's a lie. And the other way around is also a lie. We've been told that we can't really define what a woman is. Now, I realize, guys, we have a hard time figuring women out, but that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. And, and really, when you think about it, the definition of what a male and a female, you know, definitions are woven into our legal system. If, if, 
If people who are working in our legal system can't define those things, how are they going to administer the law? I could go on and on with other examples. You get the idea, though, and you know what I say is correct. I, I can already tell you know what I say is correct. We live in a culture that is increasingly propped up by lies. Did you notice that many of these lies are often set against the moral principles and truths that are taught to us in the scriptures? But wait, there's more. You see, we have not only live in a culture that is propped up by lies, but in the last few years especially, we've moved beyond the frequent use of lies in our culture to actually enforce the acceptance of lies. If you disagree with any number of lies that are told to us, you can be canceled. You can lose your job. You can be persecuted. You will become a marginalized person who really doesn't belong in a civilized society. You might even be a threat to an orderly and a well-controlled society. So how can Christians, who are supposed to love God and supposed to love the truth which comes from God, how can we survive and even thrive in such a culture which pressures us to compromise biblical teaching all the time? How can we be faithful in a time when the father of lies seems to have so much influence? Well, it, this is not rocket science. I'm not, and I'm not going to tell you anything today that, that you're going to say, wow, that's profound. I've never heard of that before. This is basics. This is, this is Christianity 101. But we all need a refresher course every now and then. Here's, what, here's how we do this. Here's how we survive and even thrive. We must be people who resist lies and discern the truth because our faith is grounded in the word of God. He has given this word to us. He is the source of truth. And yes, it's personal. Because our relationship to God is personal. This is not academics. This is not theory. This is a personal relationship that we have. By the grace of God, he has restored that relationship. We love him. He loves us. We rely on him as our father in heaven and he teaches us his truth while the world is trying to rip it from our minds, rip it from our hearts, and from our grasp. Never. We will never surrender. I feel like Winston Churchill at this point. We, we will fight them on the beaches. We will. By the way, that, that movie, The Darkest Hour, it's a great movie. Great movie. passage that we just read a few minutes ago tells us over and over again of the importance of knowing and believing the word of God. The psalmist uses several different words to describe the revelation of promises, precepts, and rules. 
He talks about the statutes, the word, the testimonies, the commandments, the laws. And all of these are descriptions of the verbal revelation that God has given to us, given to his people. He tells us that the word of God is the foundation of wisdom and understanding, that it is a blessing to the sojourner who lives among the wicked, that it brings light to all who meditate on it, that it comforts us when afflicted and teaches us to walk in righteousness. And if we went beyond the two sections of Psalm 119 that we read today, you would see that the word in all those descriptions, statutes, commandments, laws, precepts, promises, and so forth, the word teaches us about God, too. The word teaches us these ultimate truths, which are essential for living and faith, for faith and life. Think about some other passages that we find in the Bible. And I'm going to read through these passages that tell us, that teach us more about the written word of God. From Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Did you, by the way, do you notice that the contrast is not about flowers and, and grass and the word? It's actually people. All the people are grass. All of humanity that rises up against the word of God, that teaches us these lies, they are like grass, they will wither and pass away. But the word of God stands forever. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, a familiar verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete completely equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 19 through 21, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Come from within us. For no prophecy was ever produced but by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's get back to those questions that we were going to, you remember like 15 minutes ago, those questions that we talked about. What is it then about the Bible that enables it to be a trustworthy guide for our faith and life? By the way, those four verses are just four verses I picked out to read there are hundreds, hundreds of verses 
that we could have brought up here. That would have been the whole sermon right there. But what is it about the Bible that enables it to be our guide for our faith and our life? Well, remember what we read in Psalm 119. Not only does the psalmist use the variety of names for Scripture, but he also refers to Scripture as coming from God. It's your statutes, your laws, your commandments, your testimonies, your promises, over and over and over again throughout the whole psalm. The psalmist acknowledges that this truth, this word, this revelation comes from God. So we have to think about, what about God? Does God speak lies? No, he does not. He cannot. He cannot. He is set in direct opposite to Satan, who is described as what? The father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. He deceived our first parents. He was a liar from the beginning. Jesus says that as he prays for his church, as he prays for his disciples, Father, sanctify them through thy truth, your truth. And then he says what? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. It is true because it is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. It is inspired. All scripture is inspired. Literally, that means to be breathed out from God and breathed into the human authors who actually wrote it down. Many different ways of doing this. It's not just dictation, sometimes vision, sometimes verbal revelation, sometimes God's Spirit just guiding someone like the Apostle Paul to write letters to churches dealing with situations in that church. And by the way, the different uh, writers of Scripture do not lose their personality when they write Scripture. God's Spirit superintends the writing of his word without actually destroying the personality of the human author. Isaiah writes differently than Amos. Moses writes differently than Jeremiah. Paul writes differently than Peter, and so forth. There are a multitude of blessings, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, that come to those who read and study and live by the scriptures. We are being trained in righteousness. We are being given hope. The psalmist even says that hardships help him to understand the scripture better. In verses 67 and 71 and 75, he refers to this, that he has suffered hardships or afflictions. And as a result of that, he understands, and the word has helped him through these hardships as well. The scriptures are not only a rule of faith and life, they actually teach us about God and about his nature. They teach us that God is good. The scriptures teach us that God is faithful, he is merciful, he's loving, he's wise, he's a God of justice and a God of truth. Ultimately, according to the scriptures and in this psalm, the wicked will be put to shame now, what does that mean? Study that sometimes. Go back and read in your Bibles, where, especially in the book of Psalms, where the psalmist says, Lord, do not let me be put to shame, but let the wicked be put to shame. 
that's really getting at the heart of what we're talking about today. What's your faith? And by the way, don't tell me the wicked don't have faith. A faith. A faith. They all, every human being believes in something beyond himself. To be put to shame in this biblical context means to be ultimately demonstrated that your faith, whatever it is, is worthless and false. And it is not a foundation that you can build your life on. And at the end of, the, of time, at, the, at that time when you stand before God in the final judgment, what you have believed will be demonstrated to be false and your life will be exposed as a lie. That is what it means to be put to shame. But the believer will not be put to shame. The prayer in the, the psalmist says over and over again, do not let me be put to shame. Do not let me be standing there on that great day of the Lord and people looking and saying his faith was built on lies. No, the faith of the believer is built on truth. And we have the assurance of Scripture. We have the assurance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us daily at the right hand of the Father that our faith is not in vain. It is true. It will sustain us not only in this life, but that which is to come. The Bible, this is why it can be this, why we can have confidence in it as our guide for faith and life, our, our doorway, as it were, into truth. The Bible is the word of God. It is inspired by God. Because it is inspired, it is without error, it is clear, it is sufficient, and it is trustworthy. All of that flows from the divine inspiration of Scripture. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture breathed out, inspired by God. And profitable. There's a cause and effect there. Why is it profitable? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why is it profitable for all those things? Because it is breathed out by God. That's cause and effect. 2 Peter 1.29, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield writes on this verse. He says the imagery here is, is a, a, a piece of wood that's being carried along on a stream. It's still a piece of wood. It doesn't lose its nature as a piece of wood, but it is carried where the Spirit of God carries it, does not control its own self. It is carried by God's Spirit, so that what these men of old spoke was indeed the inspired Word of God, and therefore we can be confident in it, and we can be confident that whatever it teaches us is true. Well, we can be confident, we know that, but how can I be confident? There are things we must do and things we must understand a little bit more about the Word. I can, I can understand much about this book. You do realize it's, a book, it's still a book. It's not just a, an app. 
okay? It's still a book. Just thought I'd bring it in in case you forgot. I, I just so love to tweak technology, everyone. Technology works until it doesn't. God, in the inspiring of the Bible, gave it to ordinary people. We all, those of us who are ministers, we all went to seminary. We all studied under professors. We studied under learned men. And many of them have precious memories in our hearts because they, they helped form us for the ministry. Their, their influence went far beyond the, the coursework that we took with them to their actual personal ministry with us. But never believe that the Bible is simply the playground of scholars. It was written for you and for me. And it was written in such a way that we can understand the vast majority of Scripture texts. I go to seminary to kind of put a finishing touch on it. But you ought to not just rely on the professors for your understanding of the Bible. Sometimes they mislead, too. The great apostasy of the mainline denominations that began, well, that went through the 19th and 20th centuries and continues today, was not brought about by people sitting in churches. It was brought about by seminary professors, those who should have known better. Bible is given to ordinary people in languages that were common to the people. The original languages of Greek and Hebrew were commonly used by the people to whom God spoke. For us today, use a good translation. We have several good translations. I know we all have our favorite translation. And we tend to say, well, your translation has all these problems with it. My translation's perfect. <laughs> no, we have a lot of good translations. The problem is we don't read it nearly enough, whatever translation we have. Let me, oh, here's another book, Confession and Faith and Catechisms of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. That, too, is an app that you can get, <laughs> or you can read the book. But let me read to you what the Westminster Confession says about the languages. The Old Testament, this is paragraph 8 of chapter 1, the Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known in the, to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentic, so as in all controversies of religion the church is finally to appeal unto them. Because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have a right unto it and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language or common language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner." and through patience and comfort of the scriptures, may have hope. 
we actually have it as an article of our faith, that the Bible ought to be translated into all the common languages of the earth and spread through all the nations of the earth so that all the people of the earth might read and study and learn how to worship God and how to believe in him. That's evangelistic, isn't it? By the way, the Bible is the best evangelistic tract ever written. So get it out there. But also, don't forget to read. Let me, I I had many readings, but time is fleeting here. Uh, Let me just make these points. Most of the Bible is clear enough to be understood through reading. The more you read, the more you will understand. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? As, As Pastor Paul would say, it's the blinding flash of the obvious. He does say that. I've heard him. Say that. I also want to make sure I get invited back, so I'm quoting your pastor in hopes that he's watching or will watch or something like that. Read, uh, I urge you to get your copy of the Confession of Faith and read that whole first chapter, which has to do with the Bible, the Word of God. And you'll see how they lay this out in the paragraphs of that chapter. Another point, how can we be confident? Well, again, the nature of the Bible as the word of God, as inspired by God. Here's a third point. The Bible becomes clearer when we compare Scripture with Scripture. The more you read and understand, the better you become at comparing Scripture with Scripture. You need to set a goal for yourself to become a walking concordance so that when you're reading a passage in the Bible, other passages come to mind which reinforce or clarify or make, uh, make clear or encourage you in the same direction of your understanding of Scripture. And all of these are found in our confession of faith. All of these points are found there. Last question. So, well, let me sum up that Second question, the answer to that second question. How can I become more confident that I understand the word? And here's the thing. And this goes with the next question, too. Read. Read. Read some more. And pray. There's something else that goes along with the written word of God. How can I learn to discern and be a voice for truth? Read, read, read. Be constantly reading. I'm not going to embarrass you by asking how many of you read the Bible every day. Because if you're like so many other Christians, even Reformed Christians, and let's face it, we pride ourselves on being ahead of everybody else. The fact is, we do not read. If you think you get enough Bible teaching in the hour and a half on a Sunday morning, that's public worship, but that is not to be your only exposure to the Scriptures. Read, 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 
and pray. The Holy Spirit not only inspired the word, but the Spirit also gives light to those who read and believe. This is called illumination. He shines a light on the word. John Calvin uses the the imagery of spectacles, of glasses, that the Holy Spirit gives is, is like putting on a pair of glasses that's his ministry to us, to, so that we can read and truly understand. That we can hear and believe that our hearts are, are new, our eyes are new, our ears are new, and, and our minds are being renewed. And the Spirit is teaching us. Spirit is not giving new revelation, but he is helping the church understand the old revelation, the ancient texts that we have. That's why it's important not only to read, but to pray for the work of the Spirit in your mind and in your heart, to open our eyes and hearts and truly understand. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 14. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. And this is a particular ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the believer as he indwells in us. He enables us more and more as we read to understand, to understand with conviction, with true faith, to understand spiritual things as we compare the spiritual scriptures with passages of the scriptures themselves. So how can I... Learn to discern and be a voice for truth. Read, 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 and pray. Two, learn the basics of a biblical worldview, and which is nothing more than this, an accurate view of reality. Remember I said way back in the beginning, postmodernism teaches us that there is no such thing as objective reality. It's all subjective. It's all a matter of perception. And no one's right, no one's wrong. It's all perception. There is no objective reality. There is no truth. And, you can't, and even if there was, you couldn't understand what it was anyway. And there is no transcendent moral order. These were all things that flow from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. who's was often called the father of postmodernism. But we ought to give ourselves to learning a biblical worldview. And that is an accurate view of reality. So right at the beginning, we are affirming that there is such a thing as objective reality. It's not all just perception. History is not just narrative. It's fact. You you notice how more and more people today use that term narrative? Because narratives are not necessarily true. Narratives can be formed. 
history is rooted in reality. Some of the basics of a biblical worldview. There is a God. And he has revealed himself to mankind in two ways. His work of creation, nature, as he has created it, as he providentially guides it, but especially in the scriptures. That's his revelation of himself. There is a God who has revealed himself to mankind. Two, man is created in God's image. He is an image bearer of the creator. And think of all the things that flow from that truth, that basic principle of a biblical worldview. Think of all the things that... Think of, you know, if if you're on one side of the equation, you can almost see two different lists here. Those who believe there is a God who has revealed himself in Scripture and that man is created in his image, and those who believe that there is no God, the Scriptures are just another book or a record of the religion of the, of the Hebrew people or something like that, and we are just the products of evolution. If you get those things wrong, where, where do you go? It's like the continental divide of our minds of our think, thought processes. If you go on this side of the continental divide, you're going to go down that road and you're going to end up in the Pacific Ocean. If you go down that way, you're going to end up in the Atlantic Ocean. Evil is real, just as righteousness is real. Love and truth are the character of God. Evil, hatred, and lies are the character of Satan. They are real. Man has sinned and is now fallen, corrupted, and alienated from God. He has given himself over in allegiance to Satan. But God is sovereign over all things. Do not think of Satan and God as two equal and opposite forces. They are not equal. God is sovereign over all things. Satan is a dog on a chain. And he can snap and he can bark and he can bite. But he can only go so far as that chain lets him go. And ultimately that chain is going to get yanked really hard. I hear you. You sure you're Presbyterians? I was always taught that Presbyterians say amen on the inside. (laughs) Trust me, it doesn't bother me. (laughs) Man has sinned, is now fallen, corrupt, alienated from God. God has a plan to redeem sinners. And it is through the redemptive work of the second person of the Trinity who has come into our world. Do you know the difference that the incarnation makes in our view of reality? And by the way, the world teaches us to kind of separate religious convictions over here and reality over here. You can have your religious convictions just so long as, as you uh, keep this area over here. You know, at least for now you can. You need to integrate in your mind that the religious truths that we believe are part of your worldview. Redemption is part of our worldview. God's work, not just in creation, not just in providence, but in redemption, which is actually a subset of providence, 
is part of our worldview. The incarnation of Christ changed everything. Study history. Don't just read newspapers, but actually study history. History is a great check, and not all history is is created equal, I mean, as far as the record of that history. But study it, and study especially the Bible as history, too. Most of the Bible is actually history, isn't it? That should tell us something right there. God works in history, so study what God has done in history. It will help you resist the tyranny of the present crises as they pile on top of each other to have a historical perspective. The visible church is the kingdom of God on earth right now. That's part of our worldview. I watched your service last week and Pastor Paul preaching on the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's part of our worldview. That's part of reality. In spite of the church's weaknesses and failures, it will continue to pursue the Great Commission until Jesus returns. Sometimes imperfectly, sometimes mixed with a lot of bad theology, more or less pure, more or less faithful, and still it goes on. God will be victorious. We've read the end of the book. We know how this story goes. Jesus wins. And in the the most amazing act of grace, he shares his victory with his people. We're not just observers. We're part of the battle. We're part of the victory as well. The kingdom of God will prevail against the gates of hell. Jesus said it. I believe it. You also have to remember, and this is a danger that can happen to us, especially as we are dealing so much in our present age, which Paul in the beginning of Galatians describes as this present evil age, Remember that, though, that this age is passing away. And all the desires of this age are passing away. You are people of eternity. Not just, actually, everyone is destined for eternity. But you are destined as believers in Jesus Christ to eternity in heaven with the Lord. Eternal life. This age passes away. The glory that is to come will vindicate the faith of the believer. So, be courageous. Do not compromise the faith that was once delivered 
to the saints. Paul says in the book of Romans, do not let the world put you in its mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How does your mind renew? Well, just the way we're talking about here. Do not be intimidated by those who live by lies. For at that great day, they will be ashamed of their lies. And your faith will be vindicated before God's great throne of judgment. Let me just read to you one passage from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making application or making supplication for all the saints amen amen, amen. Yep. wrong wrong bulletin here sorry well let's let's close in prayer heavenly father we pray father that first of all we thank you father that by your Spirit you have given us the Word. You have taught us truth. And you have given us your Spirit and opened our eyes so that we might behold truth. Pray that you would now bless us, give us courage, give us the energy to read, to study your Word, to be grounded in it, to develop our, our view of reality from the principles of your Word, and to stand in the evil day, to put on the full armor, to hold fast to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and to pray, making supplication for all the saints. We pray this in the name of our Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. Amen.